Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. It's all happening. That's definitionally true. Yeah. Also joining us, the director of Mission USA Productions, Jeb Brewer. Are, are, are we pleased with the happenings? I, it's, it's, there's a lot of feelings. Okay, about it's the just, happenings. It's just all happening right now. Okay. Everything's happening. Okay. So. Right. Let's just get through it. Join us all the way from Mercer, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I'm having an existential crisis in that I don't know what all is happening, but I am here for it. So whatever's happening, I'm here. I think it's a very good attitude, man. I like that. Lee's existential crises are pretty chilled out. I like it. Like if he had written some of the the texts of the thing, it would have been like, if you stare in the void long enough, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like you kind of relax you do something else that's very fun. calming it's yeah. uh, just like a blank canvas sure you know? absolutely I tell you what's not calming and that's an emergency what wow. not calming but possibly illustrative okay so we, we you know we like to check in on the pop culture from time to time sure okay. we we're hit Christ- we're with it we're with it oh uh, what as what I'm with isn't it anymore It'll happen to all of you, too. Uh, so that's a joke from a 25-year-old TV show, therefore to prove my point. So we're, we got the Joker movie coming out, you may have heard. Right. The Joaquin Phoenix, it's not like, you're, it's not like you're, your mom's Joker with the Jack Nicholson, so he's like intense or something. Uh, I'm not really caught up on it. Right. But I know that it's about the comic book movie villain, the Joker. Right. Clearly. Which puts me more informed than... Someone at our bridge staff meeting who's going to remain nameless, but no, you can name the person. This might be Glenn's wife. It's yeah, hard to tell. Um, but I mentioned something about the Joker movie. I made an offhand joke to our coworker Pete, and uh, was asked, "Is that like a Christian movie?" I said, "I don't, I don't think so." Because <laughs> we would make fun. Yeah, of we, we make fun of all the time. Yeah. So, oh, I thought that. I thought that was the name of like the latest Kirk Cameron project. Yes. That I missed. <laughs> and that's where your old friends, the set podcast come in because Kirk Cameron did not make a Joker movie to our knowledge. Right. But I need to live in a world in which I know what that is. Yes. And I can think of no one better than three people I've been talking to, to create this product. Yes. Well, we do know there's a long established tradition of Christians taking something else that is popular and cool and doing an extremely unpopular and uncool version of it. Yes, (laughs) yes. So, just I'm just trying to get my mind around Kurt Cameron in the clown makeup. Yeah. And then, like, right at the end, he gets saved and wears a sweater. Well, That's pretty good. He wears a sweater, but he joins the clown ministry at his local church. Oh, there it is. He turns it all around for the Lord, man. This is... See, the thing is is that the closer we get on some of these ministries, we're going to get to the puppet ministry, and that's where Glenn has to stop making fun of it, because he really (laughs) digs the puppet ministry. That's right. That's right. This is what I'm saying. I just... I, I... We're joking about this. I... And it's not going to be made. Right. But I'm not still... Not with that attitude. I'm still upset about it as if it might be made. Because it should never it should never sure. happen. Well, let's let's explore some options. One that I one idea I came up with is we're 
you know, we live smack dab in the world of the shared cinematic universe. Yes. Yeah. You got your Marvel movies and your DC movies, and they've tried it with like the Universal monsters, like they made that t- weird Tom Cruise mummy movie. All right. Supposed to be like a bunch yeah. of those, and all these other kind of anybody that's got you know more than three characters trying to you know, create a little universe for themselves. Right. What if we create a situation where Fireproof is a prequel to the Joker movie? Oh, I love that. Get to the end. There's no pizza because you don't respect me. I feel like a clown because there's no pizza. Right. Aha. And then we cut to him putting on the makeup. Wow, dude. And going to like, I don't know what Christian Joker's pranks would be. I guess he like goes into a Chick-fil-A beforehand and replaces those nuggets with McDonald's nuggets. Right. <laughs> sure. Sure. That's an option. That's an option. Devil's nuggets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. good. <laughs> well, Can the sequel be called Devil's Nuggets? Yeah, almost certainly. Well, I gave Jed a really serious yeah. face on Devil's we're Nuggets. Not gonna get, we're not going to get that one run on TV, but I like it. You know what he wants to do, the Kirk Cameron Joker, is he wants to take over a Chick-fil-A and force it to be open on Sunday. Oh, wow. That's the kind of chaos he wants to unleash on the world. Madness. Are you talking about, Jed Brewer? That is this is what I'm saying. Talk right there. Well, I think in in the sense of you know the the Joker, the kind of Heath Ledger, just wants to sow chaos. Doesn't just he somehow creates a world in which a giant campaign comes out that Chick Fil A will now be open on Sunday. Yeah, that's right. But it's not, and they get there and they're all angry, and it's just society's breaking down. Yeah, man. yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly right. Okay, now I, I got another option for us. Here. Okay, okay. Like you know how you the you. Go and see, like, so, I noticed that, like, megachurch pastors will do this actually more than others, where they've had a, you know, a team of people put together this gym. Sure. That we're going to experience uh-huh. on Sunday. <laughs> and it's always sort of overcooked in a way that is immediately recognizable as artificial. Yep. That's before the Britney Spears mic comes out and so forth. You sure. know what I mean? But... Here's the thing is there's often like a cute little story or there's a anecdote at the beginning yeah. that's like going to loosen us all up, man. Sure, absolutely. That kind of thing. So what if it the whole thing is Kurt Cameron is the Joker, but all of his jokes are bad sermon jokes? Oh. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Yeah. That's good, dude. He just goes around, because like you buy a ticket, you think, this is going to be a superhero movie. No, it's just him <laughs> telling bad. <laughs> just crappy sermon illustrations. He's got a little three-by-five cards, he's just going through them. Okay, okay. So, yeah. He's trying to start every point with the same letter. Yes. Exactly right. Yes. It's like you're watching it, and it's horrible, and you're like 30 minutes in, and you're like, Oh my God! Is this is this the is this going to keep happening? And it's like, <laughs> is this like some meta, you know, like commentary on church culture? And you're like trying to work out what's happening with it. It's, yeah, it just turn your brain inside out. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would be pretty cool. Well, you know, in the spirit of the shared universe, yeah, there's a lot of Batman villains. This yes. is true. A rogues yeah. gallery, if you will. Oh, well put. Thank you. Here's what I want to know: Which one is Kevin Sorbo? And what's his story? Oh, well, he is there. Is there a Hercules in the DC universe? There's an Ares. who's the bad guy in Wonder Woman. Wow, that was impressive. I was going to say Mr. Freeze. You know, yeah, that's very good. These Christians are just so cold. 
Oh, that's mm. good. That's very, very good. He's a Presbyterian minister. <laughs> yes. yes. Right. Well, yes. I think uh, Kevin Sorbo would be a good Riddler because I think when we saw the first um, God's Not Dead, the main question was, why is this happening? <laughs> what? Is that Hercules? Who debates their psychology 101 professor so they can get into law school? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of weird, unanswerable questions. Right. Well, can I'm in favor of him being the Riddler, but can he wear the Hercules outfit? Okay. You know, the loincloth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure, that. sure. Just because, you know. Can the loincloth be covered in question marks? There, you just did it. Jed. Yeah. That's a movie I'll go see. That's right a go there. picture. That's what that is. It's a lot of other things, <laughs> but it is that. Well, I, I love the I, I like the idea. Um, I love the idea of as you know, so we know from the comic books, as we've read the comic books, maybe seen the movies. Uh, you know, the Joker's whole thing is he just wants to spread the chaos, right? Right. Yeah. So in the Dark Knight, you know, he's blown up the hospital and he's kidnapping the people with the thing. And you know, if you got if you go all the way back to the 1989 Batman movie, he just kind of dances to prince through an art gallery yeah. which was the most evil thing like we could do. think of in 1989 sure. i guess um but i so we've got the chick-fil-a i'm trying to think of what are more things that christian joker could do to just kind of sow chaos in his little world i i like the idea of taking the with along with like the jokes the pastor whose sermon is very very prepared and he knows all the beats and he's rehearsed mm. it and just kind of mashing up his bullet points yeah. you're talking about hacking into the powerpoint Oh yes. yeah, wow. right into the pro yeah, there presenter. You go. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, just you know, put in put in subversive talking points because you know it's like a Ron You're Burgundy not situation. a good good father. They'll all sing it and just it'll be a crisis of faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just he'll read whatever you put on the prompter. So you know, I like that. I don't think William Wilberforce wrote a hymn called "Why So Serious," but we're gonna <laughs> sing it. For the 45-minute version. Well, I think that's, you know, in the sense of, you know, the, the the small thing that drives the common man mad and kind of that sort of thing. We just, he just puts the hypnosis, the mind control, whatever, on the worship leader. So All we right. just repeat this bridge over <laughs> and over. Yeah. Oh, they already do over. that, man. Yeah, but I mean, get to that point where like, okay, three minutes go by. Because that's the thing. Think about how many times if you go to a mainline church, they could repeat the course of that worship song before you thought this is more than normal. <laughs> you might look down at your watch and this has been repeating for four solid minutes. Right, dude. There's no kidding. One time I went to a, a mega church in Knoxville and I they started this worship song and I thought, well, I've never heard this song. And then I and then I moved into the phase of I'm starting to get to know it. Then I moved into the phase of I think I kind of like this song. Then I moved into the phase of, that's about enough. Then I moved into the phase of, I'm over the song. Then I moved into the phase of, if I ever hear a note of this song again, I will kill someone. And that was all in one performance of this <laughs> worship song. I mean, we're talking a full, like, even, even like, even like one of the jam bands from the 80s would be like, that's probably enough. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want that. No. That's not uh that's not good. I like replacing the worship band's uh sheet music with incredibly complicated mm. kind of jazz and just there seeing 
just until they all pass out. Yeah. Just so many six, so many 30 second notes in a row. Yeah, that's right. How do yeah. we even do this? Some diminished uh, scales there. Yeah. But can he be doing it like the 1990 uh, Joker with just spray paint? He's just oh yeah, no doubt. Spray painting different chords and and the double diminished and what have you. Well, I think to the point of the spray paint. I now the thing I can't get out of my mind the image is is the climactic scene where we have to. We, he's risen and his power is peaked, and we have to. And it's just someone goes into a Christian bookstore, which would be a fictional thing we'd have to create for this universe. But it's like <laughs> a, a store where they just have like the Christian stuff. Um, and it's just a row of like Tim Keller books, but they all have the Joker makeup on them. Yes. <laughs> and that's when the Batman of this universe is like, now he's gone too far. Yes. Right. One other option, I, you know, it's a little out there, but it would certainly amuse me, which is a full on shot for shot remake of Fireproof, except that he's wearing clown makeup the entire time. <laughs> Dude, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. We're not top that. Uh, that would be. Yeah. No one mentions it. No one says a word. <laughs> yeah. The whole thing. Cause you same thing. You'd be watching it like, what is man, going on? Around. This is like is this like some French cinema verite thing? <laughs> and everybody that? else is not reacting to the clown makeup. <laughs> right. That's this right. is amazing. That's right. <laughs> and on that note, I declare emergency off. As ever, if you are Christopher Nolan. Joss Whedon or anybody who owns a movie studio, uh, feel free to go ahead and make it. Yeah. Just, just cut us off a little slice. We'll take a non-writing producer credit. No one knows what we do. We might even be making things worse. Points on the back end. <laughs> yeah, points there it is. on the back end. Now, there's no points in the bridge box uh, situation. There's no, we don't, we don't need to subcontract things out to studios. We don't need to play a shell game to mm. avoid the tax man. It's a simple $8 a month donated to uh, Mission USA. You go to missionusa.com slash bridgebox. Sign up. We're still in the month of October. We're looking at being a good encourager. Lots of good stuff going on. Some great songs, one of which we'll hear at the end of this episode, which has a pretty cool story to it. Get sermons from Glenn and myself. Bible studies, all sorts of great stuff. Only $8 a month. The number one way folks who like the podcast can support the work we do. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. Hang us all the way to the end. I use some ways to get in touch with this, or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links there. First question comes in and says, thanks so much for answering the question I had about how to love people at church. One of the people in my church told us he is going through something very hard. He's so broken and has had suicidal thoughts, but he's being monitored by all his friends and he's booking an appointment for counseling. He said that he, what he needs right now is to be around community. So I'm making sure we hang out with him more. How else do I support him? And what are the right words to say? And a, definitely a fantastic question. And Glenn, where would we start off? Well, I think the the main thing is to not necessarily focus primarily on the words that you're saying, but the actions that you're showing this guy. Uh, actions do speak louder than words. And um, I think that pertains to uh, how do you act around him? How do you, how do you interact with him and... Um, what sort of shape does that relationship take? Uh, I think it's important for people who are going through struggles in the church to not feel as though they are other or alien mm-hmm. or second class or different. Uh, you know, there's, there should be no alienation of you because you're struggling, because everybody's struggling. Uh, you should feel like you fit in based on your struggles in, in that sense. Uh, it's good and right to give people a little extra attention when they're having a little extra suffering, and that's what's happening here. Uh, but I think it's important to kind of create a context of, 
I'm helping you because I have problems too. I sure. you're 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 not a a a case that we're trying to solve here. You're not a project. We er, this is community. This is what community looks like. Uh, so I think uh, that if you have that attitude and your actions are in line with that, your words will kind of fall in line with that, and that's so then that solves that problem. Uh, in our line of work, we work with uh, a lot of guys who are uh, struggling with legal problems, uh, you know, in, involved in uh, criminal court cases and stuff. And we've been through every different version of what should I do about my case. And uh, mm -hmm. I can skip you over many, many years of many different kinds of struggles and mistakes with that and tell you in the end, we've landed on a very simple response. Do exactly what your lawyer tells you to do. Hmm. Find a good lawyer. Listen to your lawyer. Do not listen to anyone else. That also includes me. Listen to your lawyer. That's any question you ask me about legal stuff. Do you have a lawyer? I can help you find a lawyer if that's a problem. We can do that. I think it would be the same thing here with counseling. Do you have a counselor? Do you need help finding a counselor? Amen. If you've got a counselor, listen to what your counselor is telling you. Because what happens is uh, instant experts come out of the woodwork when someone's having a crisis, you know, because it, you sort of, uh, I think, um, I'm trying to be charitable, uh, people with not a lot on the ball that you normally wouldn't ask them for help or advice get to feel superior now that you're having a struggle. Well, I'll tell you what I do. Right. So <laughs> they can't wait to get into the advice giving there. And it's bad advice, of course. But sometimes you hear really bad, really dumb advice, and it sort of sticks in your brain like, well, maybe, yeah. maybe that I hadn't thought of that before. Maybe I should do that. Um, and I'm not even going to rebut that kind of stuff. I'm going to send that person back and say, wait, no, you've hired an expert. How about that, you listen to him? That, yeah, this is someone who went to school and had to get a license. Listen to that person. Uh, let, let the experts be the experts. You take care of everything else. I think the final thing on this, uh, to tie it all together, is to break the spell. Uh, people who are in depression, people are struggling with whatever, it's easy to kind of have their whole life wrapped up in either dealing with the problem itself, you know, having the problem, and the other half of the, their brain is taken up with trying to solve that problem. So it's either having it or wrestling with it. It's all problem all day, every day. That will drive you crazy just on that. So it's really good to find stuff that breaks that spell, that changes that channel where we're just we're going to go for a walk, we're going to go see a movie, we're going to go to a ball game, whatever that person's into. It could be sitting and drawing pictures, doing a coloring book, anything that just gets our head clear for a minute, gets that, gets us out of that headspace. So actually getting away from the actual problem solving for a minute and giving mm. yourself a break is something you can do for this person, and they may really need that. I think it's really all very, very good stuff. One uh, thing I would add on to the very good advice Glenn is giving you about experts and about counselors specifically is there is such a thing as a bad counselor. There's such a thing as bad yep. fit as a counselor. Now, the answer to that is not to uh, offer advice yourself. The answer to that is, as Glenn was pointing out, you know, if we had someone come to us, a bridge who they were telling us 
about their lawyer and we were hearing some clearly bad advice, we're not even going to try to rebut that advice, but it's going to be, if it sounds like you might be uncomfortable with your lawyer, so if you need help finding a lawyer that's a better fit, yes, that's great. Yeah, and we do spend a lot of time helping people find better lawyers than the ones that they have. And yeah, yeah, that's that's legit, but that's... Yeah, it's about getting them onto good advice and getting them to follow it. Yeah, which is very, very important. So somebody may be meeting with a counselor that's in training or a bad fit or whatever, and there's you don't have to tell them to do everything their counselor says. That's not what Glenn's saying there, but if they're getting good advice, follow it. But if they're not getting good advice, we can help them get to good advice. It's very helpful on that. And Jed, where would you take us from there? So there's obviously things they're doing. They're moving uh, forward, like counseling and stuff. Glenn's talking about that we want to reinforce we want to maybe give some pointers or just some help on that what do we do with just that giant swath of time that's not when we're with the counselor how can we be helping that that's a great question and i think glenn already touched on this really effectively with the idea of breaking the spell uh you know Nobody can be working on themselves 24 hours a day. That's that's just not a doable deal. Uh, and um, if you've got a person, and it certainly sounds like this is the case from what you've written with your question, if you've got a person that's kind of doing the big picture stuff that they need to be doing, they, they have a good counselor, they're, they're working on that, um, they actually need a lot of just good downtime in their life where they're having fun, they're engaged in something. Um because that's that actually has a hugely therapeutic quality to it because it's giving their brain and their emotional life a rest for a while. Um, you, you know, nobody can go hard all the time. There just there is no such thing as yeah. that. And particularly around church stuff, there's such a focus on everything needs to be religious all the time. And everything needs to be spiritual all the time. And you know what we should do, guys? We should just get out our Bibles and just really wow. get into it. Wow. You know, you probably hadn't thought of that. So you know what? That one's free, and you're welcome. <laughs> um, and obviously, there is a time for Bible study, and there is a time for spiritual stuff. There's also a time for playing video games and watching dumb movies and baking cookies and, and just relaxing. I think it's worth noting that I'll, I'll speak about my own situation for a second. When I'm going through rough times, when I'm going through times where I feel really down, um, it's hard for me to figure out what I would want to do for fun. Um, it, it Nothing sounds like it would be fun. So one of the kinds of help that I actually need a lot, and maybe it's not true for your friend, but it's definitely been true for me, and so there's possible there's a, a, an overlap there, but is... It's helpful to have someone who has an idea of what would be fun and is going to usher me into that state with them. Um, that is a deeply important and beautiful thing that you can do for someone else. And it's yeah. worth it's worth noting, you're probably not going to have any competition on that because <laughs> Christians are so bad at that, man. Um, there are not a lot of Christians that are good at having fun to begin with. And... Kind of like we're saying here, I think most people who go to church, they they really want to be the person who has something smart to say. Um, but creating a context where your friend can just have a good time, can just relax and let their hair down and not have to think about all this stuff for a while and not have to work on all this stuff for a while and just, and just be chill. Um, they need it. Um, it's a thing that you can provide. Uh, like I said, I don't, I don't think you're going to have any competition on it. And 
the good news is that there's an inherent value to it no matter what comes out of it. But in addition to that inherent value, I think your friend is likely to, kind of like Glenn has already pointed to, is likely to see things in a new light walking away from that. There's just, there's something about getting a break from thinking about a really big, hairy problem where when you come back to it, you can see aspects of it you couldn't see before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and things kind of make sense in a way that they, that they didn't make sense before. So again, there's an inherent value, whether that happens later or not, just, just the rest itself is inherently valuable, but a lot of time it actually leads to, it sets the stage for making progress with that big hairy stuff. It's just that we don't have, a, we don't normally associate let's bake cookies and watch the princess bride together as the <laughs> spiritual thing. That's going to break this whole thing open, even though it has the huge potential to do exactly that. If you don't recognize the deep spiritual truths in The Princess Bride, Thank then you. you're just not looking hard enough. And you don't want to hang out with people like that is a key thing. And Lee, I love what these guys are saying about what we can do, what we can't do, that whether that's being a council or whether that's, you know, pushing the me to be better. I love that. And I think there's also an important aspect here of looking about what we can and can't do just as one individual person and where that fits in. Yeah. And how does that whole idea play in here? Well, I love the question set up on, the map, on that map, but Honestly, the only thing going through my head right now are Princess Bride quotes. And Take so, your time. Anybody want a peanut? But there you go. I'm just going to... You are the good squad. To shove that to the side. Thank you, Jed. I completely agree with that analysis. There's very few things in the world that can't be at least helped by a healthy dose of the Princess Bride. Amen. I love, the, I love the use of the word community in your question, because I think that's a good word. Um, and the reason that's important is because... Uh, what we're talking about is a support network here for someone who's really, really having a difficult time. And network is an important word. Community is an important word. And here's the reason that folks that are running support need a team around them. One or two people cannot do this by themselves. Um, Out of experience from situations exactly like the one that you're describing that I've gone through in, in with folks in our church and folks in our uh, community and Christian community and non-Christian community, um, just friends, um, you've got to have enough people around you where you can actually schedule um, and and set out who's hanging out with this person, who's checking up with them on this day, who's checking up with them on that day. And the important, the, the thing about that is, is that you've got to make sure that people that r- are running support don't get burnt out. Um, everything that these guys have said is spot on the money. This is exactly the kind of stuff that we need to figure out. But within that framework, we have to have enough people on a support team that the people that are that are running support are not getting burnt out. It's exactly like being on the airplane and they say, um, in, in the event of an emergency, if the oxygen mask comes down, you got to put your own mask on first before you help somebody else put theirs on. You've got to make sure that you have the air that you have to breathe before you can help somebody else breathe. Um, if you are the only person providing support, providing, um, you know, um, someone, you know, a listening ear or entertainment or whatever those things are, all of the helpful stuff that we've been talking about in this question, uh, you are going to get worn out very quickly. And then somebody's going to have to run support on you. Um, so we've got to make sure that you're not alone on this, that we've got people from the church or people from the, the ministry team or, or whatever it is that are involved in helping out in this. 
Um, one thing I would add to it, just out of experience, because um, I've experienced, you know, running, being on a support team for somebody that's in the, a very, very similar, almost exactly the same kind of situation you're describing, is to the extent that you can understand what the the counselor is saying, um, it would be good for the support team to know some of the details of that. Um, any of the details that the counselor is willing for the support team to understand. The reason that I say that is it's very easy for the person who's going through the difficult time to become dependent on the support team. And at this, at the exact same time, the support team loves and wants to care for and help the person who's having a rough time. That's all good and, and correct and, and healthy and wonderful. The person who's receiving support wants to enjoy the support of the support team. That all makes sense too. The counselor, the professional, exactly as Glenn's talking about, may have some very specific things that they want the, the person who needs support to start doing on their own. We need to be aware of those things because we don't want to set up any unhealthy codependencies because we're trying to be helpful. This is a very tricky issue, and but it's, it's a very important one. We need to make sure that we are in line with what the counselor says the therapy should be, and we're not stepping over the boundaries of um, where we need to be um, uh, you know, moving responsibility over to the person who is receiving treatment. Um, so you're not going to know everything that the counselor or the therapist says to this person, but we need to have some awareness as a support team so that we can make sure that the the folks that are providing support are not, you know, enabling or, you know, continuing something that's unhealthy, but we are issuing this person forward in, in what their therapist or what their counselor is saying they should be taking responsibility in or should be making moves and growing in. We want to be aware of that to the extent that we can be so that we can be always, always moving toward health. That's all very, very good stuff you've heard from these guys. On that way of working towards health, working with the community, I will say that one small thing I down here is there are situations where your desire to, to help, to be there to go can go set up a weird situation. Let's say for the sake of argument, I was talking to a friend recently where this was their situation, uh, a male person at church, his marriage was falling apart. It was a whole thing filed for divorce. It was the right, everyone kind of agreed it was the right move, but it's still a very hard thing. So there's a group of men and women, like a small group who rallied around him and, this is a woman who's asked me, what can, what can we do? What can I do? And I'm, we're talking about just all the same stuff we're talking here. You have to add the addendum, but also this dude should not be hanging out with any women, including yourself, one-on-one. Is that because anything's going right. to happen? No. Is this likely anything's going to happen? No. But it's because when someone's in that fragile emotional state based around a relationship, something could happen, and it's not going to help anything. So there's plenty of group activities. There's plenty of guy time. There's plenty of if you're in a relationship, you and your your boyfriend can take him out and do all that. That's all cool. It's important to not let uh, the compassion and the empathy that you're showing that we super applaud you for, super proud of. Don't let that override what's still a good idea. As all these guys are pointing out, uh, part of that that breaking the spell is not letting this person set the terms and everything, not letting your entire world become about their every little thing. There's still yeah. things that the kind of, as we would put it, the laws of physics still apply in this situation. So it's great to be helpful. It's great to be servant hearted. You do also want to be smart about that. And as Lee's pointing out there, getting a team involved is almost always the best way to make sure you're doing that. 
Move on to our second question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, I've been a Christian for a while now, but still get fears and worries that God is going to hurt me or my loved ones to increase my faith and strengthen me. Some days I get so wrapped up and it takes over and I feel anxious. Something terrible happened to my family. What can I do? And it's a really interesting question and a very good one, I think. And Jed, where would we start it off? Well, we really appreciate you writing in. And just, you know, I'm so sorry for the anxiety. Uh, and all of us are. We, we love you. We believe in you. We're praying for you. I'm going to read to you a passage from the Gospel of John, and the second half of it I bet you've heard before, but you, you might not associate the first part with it because they don't get quoted together very often. But this is in John chapter 16, starting in verse 32, and this is Jesus talking to his followers. Jesus says, A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, let's think about that for a second, because there's a lot of interesting dynamics going on here. The first is, Jesus is telling his followers, there's no if on bad stuff happening. Uh, Bad stuff is definitely, for sure, definitely going to happen. And he actually, if you pay attention, particularly the first part, he says, you will leave me all alone. Not only is bad stuff going to happen, but you're going to screw it up too. Bad stuff is going to happen and you're going to make a mess of it in that moment. And then he says, but I've told you this so that you may have peace. There's a weird thing that the Lord would say to us, bad stuff is definitely going to happen and you're not going to do a great job with it. But I want you to have peace. I want you to not be troubled by all of this. I think that's interesting because the world's idea of peace is I get to a place where nothing bad could ever happen, and then I have peace. And that's that's really what it means to have peace, is to get to a place where um, a bad outcome could never occur. But that is not the Christian idea of peace. The Christian idea of peace is recognizing that we are... A storm is all around us, and, and, and the goal is to be in the center of the storm where we're with the Lord and it's calm, but that the peace is in spite of the storm. The, the mm. peace is not the absence of the storm. The peace is in spite of it. And again, if we look at that passage, he says, in this world, you will have troubles. Not maybe, but you will. Take heart, I have overcome the world. One of the key takeaways from that, and one of the things that allows us to have peace, is recognizing that rough times are inevitable, they're unavoidable, they're also not the final chapter in the story. Amen. That when those rough times come, whether they involve you or your family or something else entirely, that's not the the final chapter in the story. And that even in the midst of those things, this is never wasted suffering as a Christian, that God will actually bring something good out of it. That's that's what Jesus is saying. It's worth noting that that's pretty different from the idea of God's just going to hurt you so that you will have more faith. These are These are not the same thing. These are not the same thing. On that basis, I want to encourage you to look at two things. The, the first is, I'd like you to think about who gave you the idea that God's going to punch you, and then that would give you faith. If that's your current church, you should go to a different church. Um, yep. Amen. Because that's not the Bible, and that's not Christianity. This is, this is not good. 
The second thing that I want to encourage you to do is I think it's worth talking with a counselor. Uh, if we're to a point where there isn't something bad happening to you or your family, but just the anxiety that something would is to the point where it's really messing with your day-to-day life, which is what you're describing in your question, that's a great time to talk to a counselor. That's that's what counselors are there for. And one of the things, I was, I was actually talking with a friend about this recently, is it's all well and good to know the to get the theology sorted out, and you should get the theology sorted out. And part of, of why we're wondering about this is because we haven't gotten the theology sorted out, but we can do that, and you're you're well on your way. But that doesn't mean that we're good at managing our own thought life. You can understand proper theology and still need to develop some skills and some coping mechanisms for dealing with your thought life in an effective way. That's a big part of what counseling is all about, is learning tools and learning coping mechanisms and learning strategies to be able to better manage your own thought life and what to do when the impulse to have anxious thoughts comes. So, Having the theology lined out is a good thing, and, and we want to do that. Having a better understanding of what the Bible actually teaches is a good thing, and going to a church that is not on something odd is a good thing. But we can bring that together with a counselor that's helping us learn how to monitor and more effectively respond to our own thoughts. And it certainly yeah. sounds like you may be at a place where, if nothing else, that's worth investigating and giving it a shot. God does not want you to go around afraid. God does not want you to go around being anxious. Again, the whole point of the Bible is, I told you these things, that you may have peace. That's Mm. what the Lord wants for you. That's what we want for you. And we're praying for you as you work on that journey. It's a really, really great point. Lee, I'd love to go to you here. I think part of what uh, Jed is pointing to, and it's one something we would all uh, echo, is obviously if anyone's saying the words to you, you know God will probably do something horrible to you so you can grow in your faith. (laughs) That's like, yeah, that's, that's like, don't wait for the rest of the service. Like leave now, take some extra donuts on your way out. Let's not do this anymore. I wonder if there's the slightly more, not intentional, but it could, I wonder if it could trigger the same kind of thing of, we just share a lot of stories about like people went through hard things. And the end of that story is always how much it increased their faith. And we want you to have a lot of faith. And you can see how someone who may have a a medical pre- predisposition to anxiety would start thinking, oh, crap, God's going to kill my dog. <laughs> because that's kind of the arc of all these stories. Right. What is, is Jed's pointing out, that's not what's happening in these stories, even if I'm telling these stories, it's something bad happened as things happen in life. Yeah. And then yeah. someone reacted to them. So how do we how do we look at this through the actual lens of, you know, bad things will happen and you can have faith and use faith to get through these situations versus this idea of like God's going to put misery on you for a Rocky training montage. We know that that's wrong. What's the <laughs> right way to look at like bad things and faith and how all that interplays. See, now I'm all I'm thinking about is the, the Rocky four, the Russian training montage. Yep. You guys got me all in my, all in my feels on the eighties movies tonight, but um, it's so funny how how aligned my notes were with everything that Jed said. Um, I definitely feel like if this is your church, it's time to change churches, um, and, and it may be time to talk to a doctor about some anxiety stuff. I think this I, th- I think this question about the the stories that we hear in sermons is really really interesting. I love the way that you're pointing that because you know it, you know actually. Uh, and, and listeners won't know this, but I, I've actually been having, you know, really, really detailed kind of conversations with Glenn over the past 
probably 12 months about, about preaching stuff just because I've been preaching a lot more. And one of the things that I intentionally don't do in preaching is tell somebody else's story. Um, I don't do it because one, I, there's no way that you can tell a human being's story in the length of a sermon. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not good enough at that to be able to, to bring all that down and reduce it down to something. And if I do reduce it down, I'm going to wind up telling a Disney movie. And I'm going to wind up saying, you know, here's some terrible things that happened. Look how amazing they were at the end of that. Like it was, you know, one of those uh, Play-Doh machines where you stick it in and then it like you push this thing down and then, and then this, you know, something comes out the other side. It's not that simple. Uh, people's stories are extremely complex, extremely complicated. And, and we, you know, when we tie a nice bow at the end of somebody's story, we don't always have all of the constituent parts of that. Um, and so, you know, I'm not very interested in, in, in that kind of stuff. The, the one thing I do, I completely agree with Jed that this is a completely and totally busted world. Um, as far as the theology piece, the thing that we need to understand about who God is, is that God is this, he is the kind of person, he's the kind of dude. And th- this is something that, that I heard as a host on this podcast from the other brothers who live in Chicago, but we have to ask the question, what kind of a dude is God? Um, and I think that's a great question for, for a moment like this. Is God the kind of dude who hurts you and able to grow you? You know, and, and uh, is, is he the kind of guy who says, uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you through something terrible just so that something good might come out of it? Um, the truth is that God is the kind of dude who left a perfect heaven in order to sacrifice everything in order to give you a future and a hope. That's the kind of dude that God is. And that's the thing that I think that we need to keep in mind, is that God is the kind of, is the kind of person who would sacrifice everything in order to give you something that you could never get on your own, a hope and a, and a future and peace and all of that stuff. That's the kind. That's the kind of person that God is. Um, he's the kind of person who cares about you enough to sacrifice everything, go through hell itself, just to give you a future and a hope that you could never achieve on your own. I think that's where we need to start. Is what kind of a person is God? Um, when we get that theology piece in place, it's a much easier thing to think about. What you know, how do I think about the difficulties that I'm going through? And do they necessarily mean that God is punishing me in order to grow something in me? No, that's not the kind of person he is. He's the kind of person who would endure everything awful that I deserve in order to give me something that I could never earn or never hope to have on my own. I think that we st- when we start to have a different perspective about what kind of a person he is, that's going to help us put um, put our difficulties and our struggles and our and our things into the right perspective. That's all really, really great stuff. I loved everything Lee had to say there. And Glenn, I'd love to get you close out here because I think Lee hit the nail on the head right there. If we have to focus on what it actually is, if we're going to deal with this. So how, where do we, do we have a good place to start with that? Kind of we're thinking about how's, what kind of dude is God? How's that affect whether or not he interacts with us in the way described in our question here? Well, you know, here's the thing. I hear more preaching than you do. I hear a lot more preaching than you do. Uh, and here's what happens when you hear a crazy large amount of preaching from a whole lot of different people. 
you realize that memes flow through preaching wow. as much as any other part of life. You, you, this guy's sermon and analogy suddenly pops up over here, over there, or whatever, and it, it goes everywhere. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's not incredibly stupid. This is a meme. I have heard this, what you're mm. describing, many, many times. And ironically and amazingly, it's always presented to me as biblical mm. and as a truth the person who has heard this has already fully onboarded. So, in other words, the way the question is worded to me is, I know that if I ask for faith, God will make my life worse so that I will have faith. And I don't want to deal with that, but I feel like I need to have faith, but I don't want to have the hard time. So what do I do with that, and what's the right attitude on that? So it's, it's, it's taken as a given that this gospel truth about God punishing you when you ask for faith is, is somewhere in the book, and I have to deal with that. So let's let's make sure all three of us have said this, and, and uh, Matt, I'm sure, backs us up. Not only is this non-biblical, it's anti-biblical. Come on. If you ask for faith, here's what happened. God gives you faith. Without right. finding fault. That's right. Okay. It, the idea that God would punish you if you asked for faith should sound horribly wrong to you. As I say it out loud, but in case it doesn't, bless your heart. I mean, I hear all kinds of things. I don't know what to believe either. Let's ask the question, what happens if you, because faith is good. We can all agree on that. Faith is good. So what, and, and faith is a gift from God. We, we ask for God to give us faith as a, and he bestows that on us. And then we have faith in our heart and in our soul and our mind and our body and we're living out a life of faith so it's a good gift that comes from god let's ask let's read what the bible says about this which of you if your son asks for bread would give him a stone okay that would, that would be crazy if you ask for something good and then you got something bad instead because like having a stone would be like we're, we're, you know, and you'd appreciate it more, and it's a thing in the process. <laughs> Builds character, he's, Glenn. Yeah, he's saying that would be a terrible parent. A parent who cares about a child would not do that. Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake. That would be crazy. That would not. He's he's mocking the very idea of someone asking for a good gift and getting something negative in return. So which of you, even though you're evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask for Him? So that's that's what we're dealing with here. But I think, let's look at this from an even more uh, meta standpoint. Pull the camera back a bit. You know what's funny is I've gone through a lot of hard times in my life, like most people, and... Almost every time I face a really big crisis or, or trauma, something like that, I've gone to the Lord and said, Lord, I just need faith. I don't have any faith right now. I don't know what your experience is, but for me, roughly 100% of the time, the Lord says, that's not what you need right now. 
you need comfort, you need love, you need understanding at some point so that you know how to put it all in perspective, you're not freaked out. Faith is way down the line, if at all, in this process. You, you need faith in general towards general things or whatever. But for this particular crisis, what you need is comfort. You need love. You need, uh, to, you need some peace. You need some patience. You need to let me minister to you right now. Uh, so the idea, if you're going through a tough time, the main thing you need is faith doesn't really fit. It sounds right, but when you get into the actual nuts and bolts of it, what you need is someone to help you and walk with you. And that's what God wants to do in your life. Now, here's how I've seen people fail in their faith. Brace yourself. Everything's going good, Mm. and I got some money, and I got a car, and I got a house, and I got a thing, and I I got it squared away. And the Lord comes and says, why don't we go to this other country? Or he says, why don't we ask this person out? Or he says, why don't we break up with this person? Or he says, why don't we change this? Why don't we move to another city? Why don't we do something different and new? Why don't we take all of this and not covet it because I can give it back to you in different forms? You, so you could just serve me with it and not worry about it. This requires faith. And man, do I see people not having faith in those moments. <laughs> so faith leaves you when everything's going well as much as it you feel like it's not there when things are going poorly. So uh, I, I think we're, we have a misunderstanding of the role that faith has in our life. I'm with these, these other brothers, though. I think faith, is, as I've laid it out for you, I think faith is not the concern for you where you're at. You're, you're dealing with anxieties. You're dealing with really heavy negative emotions. I think addressing the fear and the anxiety is, is number one. If you want a virtue that goes with it, with all of that or might address that, that might be courage. But even before we got to courage, I think we need understanding. I think we need, I, I need to know, is God on my side? Is God with me in this? I'm not going to move off of square one if I don't have that. And that's what I want for you. I want you to be praying about that. God, are you with me? Do you understand me? Am I, you know, are you against me right now? Uh, is, is your heart towards me? If that's true, I just need to take a deep breath and say, okay, help me understand what's going on. Once I get that wisdom and that understanding and a sense of perspective on this situation, then I can move into being courageous with what I've heard. Now, that may involve stepping out in faith in some sort of way, way down the line there. But it that faith would be just a natural outgrowth of the whole process already in motion. That's all really fantastic stuff on that question, and I hope it is a big help. We're moving on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, In a previous episode, you guys talked about Jesus' patience with us being unlimited. How does the parable Jesus tells in Luke 13, 6 to 9 work with that idea? I'm not asking to challenge you. I'm just asking for some liberation. It's a great question. We love follow-ups. And uh, if you want to challenge us, that's fine too, because we don't mind being challenged. We want you, we want to back up what we say. So Lee, where do we start with this idea? Yeah, so this is a this is a weird little parable. Um talks about basically a tree that's not growing, and and one guy says, Okay, I'm tired of this tree, this fig tree not producing. And the other guy says, 
And he says, let's cut it down. And then another guy says, uh, instead of cutting it down, let's give it another year and fertilize it. And let's see how it does. Um, and so that's, that's the parable. And so I, I love the follow-up question. You know, in, in one sense, we're talking about Jesus being completely, uh, you know, there's no boundary to his patience. And then on the other hand, you know, this, this weird parable he tells, and somebody's like, this tree's not producing, let's cut it down. Um, I, I, love, I love that you're asking about this. Let's start off by saying this. Parables are strange, and they can be hard to understand. I always like to start with parables by kind of uh, getting a cast list. Like if you were, if you were casting a movie, who is in each role? Um, this is a this is a very strange picture, you know, kind of parable to understand. But it's but it's a great picture to me of grace. Um, just a little background information, just for those who don't have any kind of experience with this. But throughout the scriptures, the fig tree is always a picture of the nation of Israel. These are God's people. God's people are always kind of signified by the, the the fig tree. And in this parable, what we get the sense of is we're talking about the nation of Israel and their kind of utter failure to be the people that God created them to be. Um, they have not been who they should have been kind of deal. Uh, the priests saw it. Prophets saw it. They talked about it. They talked about how Israel had failed. They they were not who God made them to be. And they were like, you know, it's time to give up on them. It's time to kind of move past them. The impulse there is just cut this tree down. Let's, let's start something else. Let's just move on. Uh, move past them. Be done with them. But Jesus basically says in the midst of this, yeah, I, I see that. I see it hasn't produced. But let me throw this idea at you. What if we give it some more time? What if we not only give it some more time, but what if we fertilize it for another growing season? Let's give it some more nutrients, some more, um, another growing season, um, another chance. I, I'd, I'd love to see this thing with, with more rain, more nourishment, and, and more space to grow. More sun, more, just, just more. Let's just give it some, just give it another chance. Um, to me, that's what the heart of Jesus is saying here is, um, for people who have not been who they should have been, who have not lived up to expectations, that the Lord's heart is, yeah, I, I know that by all accounts, we should move past this and give up on them, um, but uh, I'm not ready to give up on them yet. Um, I, I want to pour more fertilizer in, more time. I want to see what another growing season would do. If I know anything about the heart of Jesus, it's that you would get to the end of that extra growing season and he would say, you know, I see a couple more buds on here. I see a little more leaf. Um, let's give it another year. Let's fertilize it some more. Let's just keep going with this. To me, that's the, that's the picture that this parable gives of the heart of Jesus is I'm not ready to give up on them yet. And that is consistent with the heart of Jesus with every person I've ever known. I know it's the way he's treated me. I know it's the way he treated people in the gospels. That's his heart is uh, when everybody else is ready to give up on somebody, the heart of Jesus is let's give them some more time. Let's give them some more resources. Let's give them some more nutrients. I want to put some more care and, and, and give this person some more chances. That's a really, really good place to start that off. Very good base for us to move on from. And Jed, where would we move on to? Well, I love everything Lee said. And I think one of the things about parables that's interesting is they're not just Jesus, but whenever you tell a parable, you're inviting a person to contemplate. 
right? If you if you just wanted to make if you wanted to say one thing and you wanted to say it very clearly, will you just make a statement? Part of the thing of parable is it it invites you to get into it and think about it and ask questions and um, and ponder it. That's that's actually a a big part of the point again of of anything that's intended as a parable. And so here's one of the things I think is worth you pondering, and it's it's certainly uh, a theme in this parable. Your question comes talking about patience, and is Jesus' patience really infinite? Let's look at the opposite of patience for a second, which is being in a rush. My question for you is, when has being in a rush ever worked? When has being in a rush ever yielded anything good? Because I can't think of a single time. I can think of emergency situations where being in a rush is the only option. But outside of emergency situations, I can't think of a single time or instance or arena of life where being in a rush is a good idea. Finances, being in a rush is the worst thing you could possibly do. It's a terrible idea. They they call them get-rich-quick schemes for a reason. The word scheme is not a compliment. Um, (laughs) uh, Fitness, trying to get in shape fast is how you injure yourself. It's a terrible idea. Um, Relationships, man, that is a prescription for a bad idea, is being in a rush in regards to a relationship. That is a deeply, deeply bad idea. Now, the funny thing is we, we know all that. We, we know it instinctively. My question to you is, if you and I can see that, as imperfect as we are, as limited as we are, don't you think God can see that even more than we can? I mean, even if God wasn't abounding in patience just from a character point of view, which the, the Bible certainly is insistent that he is— just on the basis of understanding how life works, wouldn't God need to list towards patience since being in a rush never works for anything ever? <laughs> I, I think it's worth contemplating that. And to that end, and again, to, to tie it further to this parable, here's one of the interesting things about um, fig trees is my understanding, I did a little reading before we did this, is that apparently three years, which, you know, so the, the story goes, uh, the 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 first guy the guy's complaining says you know I've been coming here and we planted this tree and it's been three years and still no fruit and I've come every year and it's no fruit three years is about the earliest that you'd expect a fig tree to produce fruit mm. and he's been coming every year so he's been in a rush it's interesting that he's been in a rush and he's been disappointed and he's not gotten the thing that he wanted it would be very very unlikely that a fig tree would produce fruit its first year in the ground. And yet, here comes this guy demanding that he's going to get fruit out of it. So that's a dude who's not only in a rush, he doesn't know how things work. He's, he doesn't know what the deal is. He, he's, he's confused about the nature of fig trees. Again, with parables, there's, there's always another layer, which is, that's part of the beautiful things about, about parables. There, there's always more to, to, to contemplate. But I think you asked for liberation. I think when we get into a mode where we, we if we're going to be honest, we say, I am afraid. I am worried. I am worried that that God is not going to have patience with me, doesn't want to have patience with me. His heart isn't really towards me in that sense. And I see, I glance at this parable and I feel like there's a way to read it that says that God is going to run out of patience with me. And so that just 
that that kind of inflames those worries that I already have. Which, just so you know, I've had those experiences in my own life. So no judgment. I, I, I get that. But I think one of the ways that we can fight back is to start to engage that analysis side and say, let's dig deeper. What's actually going on in here? Because this is not a story about saying it's good to be in a rush. That's, that yeah. is not one of the takeaways from this story. And again, that makes sense because nowhere in life do we see that it's good to be in a rush. If you and I can see that, the Lord of heaven and earth can surely see that. And again, the Bible testifies that his character is one of incredible patience and kindness towards both you and myself. That's a really great point. It's, it's something we say on the show often, and we kind of, I kind of alluded to earlier that you're not going to read a single passage of the Bible that undoes everything that you know about the way life works. It's not the way right. that was meant to be used. And Glenn, something you have been saying often recently, I think it's a great point. This may be a good place to apply it is we know we don't have a proper understanding of a Bible passage when it seems to contradict everything else that's clearly said in the Bible. Yeah. I think that's particularly true with parables, given mm-hmm. what Lee and Jed have described as parables are supposed to be a little esoteric. They're a little open to interpretation and open to depth. Now there's some things about like God's patience that are clearly stated in the Bible. So how do we go about uh, realizing the interplay between those things? Well, uh, I think a big part of the problem, and these fellows are laying it out, is there's a little bit of projecting onto the Bible that's happening here. Hmm. So in other words, what I'm thinking you might be hearing when you read this is, okay, there was a bad tree. Everybody hated this tree. That tree's a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, Jed is no longer wel- welcome at the Arboretum. Right. <laughs> just that kind of outburst. Because the tree was bad in, in its essence, it did not produce the good fruit. So uh, they said this bad tree should be punished and should be destroyed utterly and should not exist and so on and so forth. And there's a wrestling match on when, where, and how we should destroy this evil thing. That's really not what that Bible verse is at all saying. It's really saying something a whole lot more about bearing good fruit and being having a productive and fruitful life, which lots of people who uh, are in church are not doing and, and aren't, aren't worried about. So there's, uh, uh, there's that in terms of perspective. But I think what you're confusing radically, and I hear this a lot, is earthly consequences and spiritual consequences. Aha! These are very different. It is possible for you to screw up your earthly consequences with your actions. Yep. If you set your house on fire, it's gone, man. Yeah. Are you sure, Glenn? Are you sure? There are going to be, yeah, there's going to be consequences to that. It's going to happen. If you insist on selling illegal narcotics, we will probably be visiting you at Cook County Jail. <laughs> That's right. There are, the actions have consequences. But you say, okay, so that means if I do bad things, bad things will happen to me. Well, that's not really what the Bible is saying, and it's not what I'm saying either. I'm saying that uh, you're dealing with an earthly consequence that will tend to to follow behind these kinds of things. <laughs> but I'm I'm saying you're confusing that with, does God want to bless me? Does God want to bless me always, no matter right. what? Does God want to bless me when I'm screwing up? 
Does he want to bless me in the moment I'm screwing up? Mm. The answer to that is actually yes. That's patience for sure. But now you say, well, if God wants to bless me, that means he will take away the earthly consequences. If God wants to bless me, he'll jump the house back together again after I burn it down. That's not, that's confusing some things. First of all, the spiritual consequence is what we should be concerned about. That's the forgiveness and all that part. That's what you really need is, is for God to, to love you, to forgive you, to, to, to restore you to a right and healthy relationship with him. But God does allow us to go through circumstances. Some of them are of our making. Some of them are not of our making. Right. He allows us to go through challenges. And uh, it, he has reasons for that. And it's about us learning how to navigate those and, and choosing uh, a path that allows us to not only overcome those things, but to be in, in strength. But give you a, a, a concrete example on this. Let, well, I'll give you an example uh, from our operation. We had a guy, this was many, many years ago. Um, he didn't work for us, but we were doing some stuff with him. And um, he just was acting like a weirdo. And uh, <laughs> he was acting uncool. I'm right here. <laughs> no, it's, oh, it's no, not no, you. Never mind. But long before your time. And he also then eventually found a way to be uncool towards a member of my staff. And all of you people listening uh, on the internet need to know, don't do that. <laughs> Bad idea, James. <laughs> uh, really, don't do that. So uh, he was gone. I mean, he was gone before I got to the end of the sentence, you're gone. He was all the way gone. And, and bless his heart, he went out and thought of it and dealt with it and had feelings about it. And he, he, he waited on my front porch for me to wake up and come out uh, and uh, so he can encounter me. Uh-oh. This and, man does not have a gift for strategy so far. <laughs> don't try to get with me first thing in the morning if you want grace. <laughs> get with the Lord at that hour, not me. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, the Lord's he, already up. He, yeah, he, he he came in, sat down, and he said, I've done I was wrong. I did everything wrong. He laid it all out. You know, I was I was a jerk. My ego got into this. I mean, it was very full. I said, Look, buddy, I love you. I forgave you before you said this. I'm glad you did say it so you can be free and so we can have a, a restored, healthy, loving relationship. I love you. I want what's best for you. And God bless you. You're, I want you to feel forgiven. You are forgiven. I don't want you to give us another thought. I mean, I hope we can all learn from this and move on. And he's like, oh, good. So we're going to be doing some stuff together then. I said, oh, no, my man, no. Uh-uh. You have burnt this bridge badly, real <laughs> bad. You need to go somewhere else, dude. You need to work it out. Because, you know, again, you, you've messed some things up uh, with the ministry. You've created a bad situation. You need to go to another ministry, and you need to do better and smarter there. God has other opportunities for you. God's not finished with you. God has other things because he's patient with your knuckleheaded face. So go take it somewhere else. Inflict all this on somebody else. I love you. Jaunty salute on the way out the door. That's it. You know. So, you know, we can get this mentality going of if I'm forgiven, that means I go back to 
square one. Yeah. And life is not like that. Uh, God will, will be patient with you. He will give you other opportunities, other cool opportunities, other amazing opportunities. And if you're better and stronger and smarter because you've learned from that stupid mistake, this might even be a cooler opportunity. Who knows? But it's important for you to recognize your actions do have earthly consequences and that God is not in the business of shielding you from that. And mm. sometimes he allows you to go through those things to learn some things. And sometimes, some of us only learn the hard way, so that's how that works. But it's important to know he is always ready to restore, always ready to forgive, always ready to find another thing for you to do. That's all great stuff. Lee, one thing to take us out on? I was just really impressed with the fact that Glenn is a preacher and that he, when he was growing, long-time podcast superfans will know that when Glenn was growing up, he had fig trees at his actual house, yes. and a preacher not using the fact that he had fig trees when he was growing up <laughs> in answering this question was a was an was an example of self control, unlike yeah. anything I've ever seen exercised in my entire yeah. preaching life. When you when you when you got it right there, and you don't use it. That's a lot of control. That's really something. So I just <laughs> I just wanted to give props to the man who didn't use the fig tree, even though he actually had fig trees. That's right, at his house. people. That is, as the kids say, a flex. <laughs> and as all excellent stuff, again, we don't mind. As a matter of fact, we celebrate follow-up questions. We don't feel that you're challenging us. And if you are, hey, you know, that's fine. Um, we, if you got questions about stuff we say, feel free to point it out. You do it here. You can write into say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com. You can, as this one came, as this question came in through, you can leave us know on our Facebook page, and we'll do our best. To get back to you on that, that's facebook.com slash thebridgechicago if you want to join in on what's going on over there. We're going to tell you the song this week. This is from our October edition of Bridgebox. Yeah. I promised you a cool story behind a song, and that you shall have. This is a song by our friend Celebrity. It's called Suddenly It Was Written Inside an Ice Detention Center. Uh, our friend, a uh, good friend of ours, Celebrity, who wrote a song and does some amazing work getting folks who are ready to uh, check into drug rehab to where they can do that uh, is a not a born American citizen. He's a, he's legal resident. He has proper work here. And um, through a series of mishaps was spent over a year, I believe it was in an ice detention center in Wisconsin. So this is a song, a little bit about kind of some of the stuff he learned about himself, about God, about other people working in that situation, kind of helping folks through. It's a very cool story. It's a very cool song. Got that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God bless you. There's nothing you can do about it. Say that podcast. We're all looking forward to the movie where Joaquin Phoenix uses his super villainy to stop megachurches from making movies. (laughs) (laughs) Encompassed by the dim of the restless world around me.